Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com dick just sitting there you can't tell it's a dick though you can't i can't oh <laughs> i guess because like i'm seeing like how it how the camera's picking up and not over the internet it is clear as day mm, yeah a it's dick. like it's like just unclear enough that it yeah but now now i can't stop staring at it and then chucky's right underneath <laughs> i know it's like the dick is pointing at chucky which is weird but <laughs> here we are yeah. In my mess of a room. Dicks and Chucky. <laughs> Dicks and Chucky. Uh, sums me up. What can I say? Uh, am I going to get clued this in here or no? I don't, you probably, I think you should. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Why not? I'm going to do mean, it. Like, it's up to you. <laughs> but it's hilarious. We haven't done one of those in a while. One of bizarre oh, oh, episode opening. So let's let's do it. And welcome back to Little Cuts, our weekly mini-sode where we dig into the things that we've been, I'm looking, watching recently. <laughs> I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. This week we're talking about a blind spot I finally remedied, <clears throat> a sad-as-fuck holiday horror, one of the best new genre TV shows, and one of the not-so-great-but-not-as-bad-as-people-say ones, and also lesbians. And also lesbians. And also lesbians. <laughs> Beautiful, beautiful lesbian. I'm dying to know, what is this blind spot that you finally remedied? Scream 2. <gasps> ah! And? I loved it. Wasn't it good? It's so good. Isn't and it so good? I didn't so know good? the ending. I didn't know the, I didn't know the twist. 
And that was even more exciting. I feel like I never, like, it's, like, so hard. But I somehow didn't know the twist or, like, forgot it or whatever. And I was like, <gasps> I was, like, genuinely shocked. It was so an exciting experience. you had, like, experience. A, an experience. I had That's... an experience. It was a great time. Man, Neve Campbell in that play, that college, the uh, like theater department, uh, fucking incredible. But man, oh man, that was so good. Like I had seen that cold open before, but that cold open is just so complex and cool. Mm-hmm. And oh my god, I just think they, they I love that. Like it just, it's really fascinating how much deeper they go into like this idea of the horror movie and like the tropes of the horror movie and the second one and like dig even deeper into all of that. And, Oh, I just, I loved it. It's so And it good. has some shocking moments. Randy's death. Oh, I cried. Not cried, but I was like, what? <laughs> That's rude. Yeah, I, was, I was, I was mad about that one. Really loved uh, Jerry O'Connelly O'Connell's death. Uh, weird naked death on the cross mm. situation mm. very weird very bizarre when she goes up and holds on to it trying to keep the blood from oh, pouring it's ho- oh it's like i this movie i just felt i could not help but feel so fucking bad for this girl like i know there's a bunch of the movies but it just like in watching this and just kind of thinking about it, what all of the shit she went through in the first one and like her just struggling so hard to be like, don't be around me. I'm dangerous. Like, it's just, it, they, it hits really hard of just like mm-hmm. how sad and just fucked up she feels about being around people and how she's like, I'm cursed. Like, I can't escape. It's just, oof. And how mundane rough. the whole thing becomes for her. That like at the very, I love when she's introduced in the, uh, the scary voice on the phone and she's like, she has caller ID. Yeah, and it's like, like the phone number is. Da, 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 da. You know, she's just, at this point. It's like, ugh, really? Like, fuck off. She's so over it. She's so and yeah, and it's like, but like you can tell that she doesn't let she doesn't let to bother her, and she's like just trying to be normal. And mm-hmm. it's just like it's just the movie's out. Like it'll be fine. Blah blah blah. And like I love that about her. But then you can see it wearing down. Like she's trying so hard to be that strong final girl who like doesn't let anything bother her. And she's a badass, and she is a badass. But she also like Wick is worn down by like being terrified for her life and like watching all of her people around her die. Like that's so much loss that she is experiencing all the time it's just like it's fucking tragic struggling with ptsd trying to like yeah trust her boyfriend when the last boyfriend like there's this movie feel there's no way this movie could exist without the first one and a lot of times when you see like some sequels it almost feels like they're trying to like remake the first one and a lot of times especially with like slashers but this one it's like no this one is directly answering to events that happened in that first movie and you can see like a through line for her kind of trauma yeah. and dealing with with what happened in that first one and i just yeah. i think this movie is so special i'm so glad you it's finally special. saw it oh my god and like i love the fucking scene where they are they're climbing out of the crashed car with the ghost oh. face in the front seat i was like I'm going to fucking pee my pants. Like, this is so fucking tense. Like, it's just, those movies are just so incredibly made. And, like, Wes Craven is like, I know how to scare you. And I'm like, yes, you fucking do. Like, he just knows how to terrify the shit out of you. And so, yep. It's a fucking special movie. So I'm glad I finally watched it. So And Jackie from Roseanne just going wild-eyed Mrs. Voorhees ending <sighs> shit's crazy love shit her. is fucking crazy i loved it i was like oh, it's her it's the mom 
oh my god i was just like well and then i got like a, a one-two punch of mickey rourke from this movie and then like i think like two years later was uh go which he's incredibly hot in that movie mickey rourke not mickey rourke good fucking god timothy oliphant Timothy Olivet. I was thinking I was Mickey. Like, I was thinking Mickey, the creepy Tarantino oh, film student. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Timothy Olivet. Yes. Jesus Christ. He's, oh my God, when he's like, the trial. Like, he's like giggling about the trial. And I'm like, you're so fucking creepy. Oh my God. It's, ugh. Mickey Rourke. Jesus, Terry. I know. It was incredible. I was like, Mickey Rourke was in this? I don't remember that. <laughs> Mickey Rourke was in this movie. Uh, but, okay, so what is this incredible TV show, genre TV show that... Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yellow Jackets. Um, okay, I thought, okay, I thought it was you were talking about Yellow Jackets. Okay, I've heard great things. Tell me more. I, so you, you haven't watched it yet? I have not watched it yet. I am aware of it. I just haven't watched it yet. Well, the first episode is streaming on, like, YouTube and a variety of places. So Showtime is really trying to heavily, like, get people invested in the show. And for good reason. I also have a reason. Showtime account. <laughs> Unfortunately. I've just I've bought it. I'm like, well, there's too much horror shit across the internet that I want to fucking get. But anyway. I mean, you're not far behind. The first episode just aired. Yeah, well, but I'm glad they're, like, doing the thing where they're putting it across other platforms and, like, having it mm -hmm. be free. Like, that's really smart. I like that. So Yellow Jackets is about a team of high school soccer players girl soccer players mm -hmm. they they just like won really big things i don't know sports and are going to nationals which made me kind of laugh because i'm always thinking about how like regionals with like choir and band and stuff they're going to nationals and they get into um a private jet uh that one of the, the family members uh, rents and they go taking off and they end up crashing in the ontario wilderness where they are survivors for 19 months. 19 months, they are stuck in the woods. And in some ways, this kind of feels like... So it's... Okay, so it's set in 1996 when this happened. And then it is also set in 2021. 25 years... 25? Okay. 25 years later. And okay. so it's sort of like a mystery of who survived, who didn't. We see some of the characters that are introduced and the, the adults... The adult versions of them are played by people like Melanie Linsky and Christina Ricci and Juliette Lewis, fantastic actresses, um, just turning in fantastic performances. But then it intercuts between 2021, where there's like some kind of mystery going on, and also in 1996, where we're starting to learn how this group of sort of cohesive team ends up turning on each other and uh, – turning into cannibals and tribalism and murdering each other. The opening so of Lord the... Lord of the Flies, basically. Lord of the Flies. And in a way, this feels like a direct answer to Lord of the Flies because Ooh. there is a quote of, excuse me, William Golding, the director, the writer, yeah. director, the writer the of... The director um, of Lord of the Flies book. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, where he... There's like a famous quote. Where in an introduction to Lord of the Flies, Golding, William Golding, the, the writer, says, I think women are foolish to pretend they're equal to men. They are far superior and always have been. But one thing you can't do with them is take a bunch of them and boil them down, so to speak, into a set of little girls who would then become a kind of image of civilization of society. And his idea is that if the reason why it's all boys in Lord of the Flies is that it wouldn't make sense that girls would turn on each other. And this feels like 
a direct like fuck you like no girls are a lot more complicated than than what you're what sort you of think? like yeah heightened idea of what femininity is and here we have women the opening scene is this woman running through barefoot through snow yelling while you hear like cawing and whispering surrounding her she disappears because she falls into a trap and is like pierced all the way through. And then there's a scene later where she's the body is hung upside down. They slit her throat. And then there's a scene later where they're eating her. So we get this. And that is sort of like a future point in this 19 months. And then it kind of goes back to the first episode is uh, leading up to that crash. And then it goes from there. And this show is fucked up in so many different ways. It definitely does not shy away from the gore. Fuck yeah. It has an interesting story in the past and in the present. There's something going mm -hmm. on. And there's also sort of like a mystery of like who survived because you're sort of learning it out. So it kind of feels a little bit like lost in a way in that in that kind oh. of regard where it's sort of like instead of in Lost, well, the first season of Lost where you're sort of seeing the past leading up to them sort of getting on the island here. It's like they're crashed and you're seeing the future and what the island did to them or the forest in this case did to them. Oh. And it's just, it's so good. Is it's the first their team. It is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just, I, I think this, I, I've, I've watched the first episode maybe two or three times now. Um, I just, I think the first episode is so perfectly paced and I've seen the first three episodes. And I think this is a show that genre fans, you need to not be sleeping on. Fuck. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. I'm gonna watch it. So that was uh, Yellow Jackets. Let's talk about this sad as fuck holiday horror. So I watched Silent Night, directed by Camille Griffin. Mm -hmm. It's coming out December 3rd. Mm -hmm. What the fuck <laughs> is that fucking movie? Jesus Christ. So, okay. The film is bleak. It's like bleak from the beginning. It's basically a pitch black horror comedy about it's Christmas Day, and it's we almost got we almost got through it. We almost did it. We almost did it. But it takes place on Christmas Day, and it is the day before basically the end of the world. the The Earth has decided that it no longer wishes to have people on it. A poisonous cloud is coming to consume them all, and they all know this is happening and have these little pills that they're going to take. So they don't suffer. Government-sanctioned suicide. Government-sanctioned suicide. And so the film is basically, like, a f all of these, like, friends coming together for one last, like, celebration together before they all have to kill themselves. So, like, already, like, really uplifting shit. Like, <laughs> really great. It's, 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 there's some really funny parts, oh. like, I will say. Like, incredibly funny. It's so like, funny. Like, fucked up. <laughs> fucked up funny shit going on in this movie and like i really liked it for the most part but i think it got me really angry because it's just like this we are in a time period where this shit is like so real so much realer than it ever has been and it just fucking feels so mean and like i think that's the point but just like it just feels so mean-spirited at some points and I don't know how I feel about that yet. I'm still, I've been trying to parse my feelings for like a week now about how I feel about this movie and like the emotional kind of manipulation that's going on here. And like, I get it. It's supposed to be fucked up and like, look at the fucked up situations we're in and like what that kind of leads us to do. But some of it is just like, why though? <laughs> like, why are we doing this? 
And it's just like, it's just so fucking sad because even though it's funny, like, they talk a lot about choice and like this little kid is questioning like why he's not, why he has to kill himself and like why he can't live and these like illusions of choice and like what we've done to the earth and reconciling like who we are and what we've done and like this looming specter of death and like it makes me want to have a panic attack just thinking about it. Like it's just, it's hard. It's a rough movie. It's just rough. It's a really difficult watch. It is. I I kind of it, I watched I saw this like I don't know. It was at I can't remember if it was at some festival earlier this year and maybe it's Fantastic it Fest. I think I might have seen it there. I can't remember. Oh yeah. But it was one of those and um I haven't written my review about it cuz I don't I I'm I'm still parsing out what I think about it. However, yeah. listening to you talk about this, I was it reminded me about how much I thought it was a very funny and biting satire about um the rich because a lot of the problems mm-hmm. of global warming and the kind of climate stuff that this that this movie is kind of tackling a lot of times are results of the rich and here we have the world is ending and the this rich people are coming together for a night of celebration before they're going to somewhat painless painlessly they think off themselves while other people don't have that luxury there's like a whole thing about how you have to be a british citizen to get this pill and so there's like the idea of immigration and if there's people that aren't going to have it and they're going to end up dying a very painful death by this this cloud coming in and they have no options whereas this family has all the options and so i kind of saw it as like this very 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 caustic and yes mean-spirited uh dark comedy about these people trying to have one last hurrah because they are entitled enough to be able to have that ability like they go to this like secluded giant house Mm -hmm. in the countryside and like their beautiful cars and they're like all their food grandma Leave. Oh, that was that scene was awful with the Zoom call mm-hmm. and like. Oh, we have to. Oh, that was too. That was too close to fucking home. Um, but the part that really got me. And this isn't really a spoiler. It's like I think it's in the trailer where they rob a convenience store for sticky toffee pudding because it's that. It's like well, we're dying tomorrow anyway, and they rob a fucking store. And it's such a brief moment, but just like, and they're like giggling about how like, oh my god, mm-hmm. I can't believe we did it. And like, I don't know. It's just it's. It, I think it's a good movie. I just think there's like it's it's hard to oh, watch because it feels, and it's sad because like the it's like the first hour is pretty funny and then like the last act is just like fucking depresso central and it's just like I'd be very interested to see people's reactions yeah. when it comes out because I I watched it and then I was like I need to sit down mm. like this is rough. So that is, yeah, and it stars like it's got a good cast, like Karen Knightley's in it, Matthew Good, like it's a great cast, and there's all it's incredibly act well acted. Mm-hmm. It's just rough, mm-hmm. it's rough times, my friends, rough times. But yeah, so that Silent Night coming soon to a depressed depression near you. <laughs> um, so what is this not so good TV show? Well, I I kind of wondered if I should bring this up or not, but like I. I watched all 10 episodes over a weekend and I feel like I need to talk about this because I'm also kind of surprised at some of the vitriol, I guess, about this show. But I'm talking about Cowboy Bebop. The Oh, smash, smash, smash. Yeah. The, <laughs> the live action adaptation of the classic and iconic anime series. I know you're mm-hmm. an anime fan. Have you you've seen? Have you seen 
I'm actually watching it right now. The original? Yeah. Yeah, I've seen a lot of vitriol online, though, about it. And I'm curious what you think. So I... I, just like off the bat, I will say, I think live action adaptations of anime are fucking stupid. Like, I don't care how good they are. I think it's absolutely unnecessary to ever do that. And we can talk about that a little bit more. But that's just like, first off, my... We don't... Whatever. I mean, I... I get that. I get that 100%. <laughs> but on the other side of things, there are things – like, I, I think about how there are people that would not watch an anime. Just in the same way that there were people that wouldn't watch Ringu, wouldn't watch Juwan. Don't know about it. Don't know if they would want to watch it. End up watching it and then wanting to find out more. And so end up going to watch the thing that it's based on. <sighs> <laughs> With your fucking thoughtful response. <laughs> and so I, I I mean, it's it's a valid thing because all I kept thinking about now, okay, I'm not a huge anime f- fan. I'm not. Mm-hmm. But I have seen Cowboy Bebop. I saw it maybe 20 years ago and I don't really re- didn't remember a whole lot about it. But I remember really liking it at the time and thinking this is really good. This it's like one of like the anime you should see if you like it. It's like even if you don't like anime, like it's one of the. Even anime if you don't like anime, it is a show that you should watch. It's an iconic part of pop history, and it's from what I remember. Again, it's been twenty years. I remember it being very, very good. I I'm kind of curious what I would think about it now, and I I wanted to, I actually wanted to rewatch it before I watched the live action adaptation. But I'm coming from it as someone that like I appreciated it. But I don't remember anything about it except that the music was fucking killer. And I remember that there was a, a corgi. <laughs> that is like a super smart corgi. A super smart corgi who is not really well done. Okay, this is a remix of that. And there, there are things where it's like, hey, this was an episode or a villain from Mbenes episode of here. And this was a sort of a plot line from there. Yeah. I, It's fine. It's aggressively fine. Uh, but all I kept wanting to do when I was watching it is go like, oh, I really wish I was watching the anime right now is kind of how I feel about it. And I, I've seen I mean, it's almost like I think if you throw a rock, you're going to find a review that mentions you could watch the entire anime season and then time it takes you to watch this pretty much because this is 10 episodes. They're an hour long. That's like 30 episodes. They're 30 minutes long. So it's almost the same, uh, almost the same amount of mm. length of time. I don't think this is a bad series. I think it's fine. I think there's some things in it that are actually really good. I really like what what they did with some of the queer characters and made things more explicitly queer as opposed to sort of the, uh, this guy might be kind of queer, but we're not going to really talk about it. So Gren, who is an intersex person in the original mm-hmm. cartoon uh, anime that is uh, was forced to be intersex by by drugs, if I remember correctly, from his time in the military, their time in the military. And it's sort of like a played almost for laughs at then. Cause I, I think I remember the characters like, what are you at one point to, to that character here? Oh yeah. Non-binary played by nine, non-binary actor. Fantastic. Okay. Has more agency. Julia, the sort of femme fatale from the original one that, Never really, in my, from what I remember, my recollection never really had much agency, has a lot more agency here. Uh, okay. Faye, queer, has a sex scene with a woman. There are like some things in here that I think oh. um, take things that were introduced and maybe didn't necessarily have the dialogue for or didn't have the maybe bravery to do 
back then and when this was originally released in like the the 90s there's a lot more here i think there's a lot more queer stuff that i was really happy to see i don't think it looks as bad as people say i think it looks about on par with like what you're going to get from a disney plus television show which i don't know why we're saying that this is really ugly when we're lauding disney plus shows as being like really beautiful it's tv budget yeah i think yeah, I also think it's be- just because, like, it's it's really hard to translate from the animation medium to live mm-hmm. action. And, like, that's my thing a lot of the time with, like, why I get so mad about this is that, like, animation is a medium that lets you do so much mm-hmm. stuff. Like, it opens up your world. Like, I know we have CGI, but it's not the same no. thing as, like, animation where you can, like, just make an incredible world full of, like, color and, like, bodies can do weird things and, like, sp- space and time don't necessarily matter as much and in this and this and like you know i think that's a hard thing to translate Mm -hmm. over and i think because cowboy bebop is so colorful and like full of this like the beautiful animation it's just hard to see that lose its life a little bit and i haven't really watched the show so i don't i'm just seeing what people say on the internet but like it's hard to see that i think especially with such a beloved show like you were Adapting the show now is like a damned if you do. It there's, was like doomed. There's no like way. Not, not to be an like not to be a shit, but like there's just there's too many anime fans. Obviously, as you could tell, like we're a little bit psycho, and especially with Cowboy Bebop, like. But you know, like you said, people are talking about Cowboy Bebop again. Netflix and, has like, it out not there that now. It's ever left the conversation, like it's more in the conversation, and more people will probably watch it. Like that happened with Evangelion when Evangelion mm-hmm. came to Netflix. Like, it wasn't this exact same situation, but, like, it got people into that medium again. Or, like, opened up people's eyes to that medium and, like, what it can do. So, yeah. And at least they, at least they cast a fucking Asian person to play Spike. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. And, I mean, you have... You have uh, let's 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 think about this in terms of representation. You have the, the three main characters of this. Jet Black, played by a black man. Spike Spiegel, yeah. played by an Asian man. Uh, Faye being mm-hmm. played by a Mexican-American actress. So you have people of color being front and center in this story. This big budget action story. And that that is something I think is like, even if it's not good, like it, you don't ha- it doesn't have to be good, but like you still have to be like, that's pretty big. Mm-hmm. It is like still really great to see that shit like in a big Netflix show like this. Like, it's important. And I think that where it ends is actually really like it actually made me want to watch a second season. I don't think that this season is necessarily that great. I think it is definitely a fine moment. There's some episodes in it that I think are fantastic. There's a lot of stuff that I'm like, eh, no, this didn't work for me, dog. But I like that it's kind of bringing uh, Cowboy Bebop back, back, Cowboy Bebop back into the <laughs> the non anime. Uh, realm for like fans and maybe because it is on netflix now the anime series is on netflix that maybe more people will discover it and realize how amazing that original show is so i it i don't think it's as bad as people say but it's not great and it's playing now on netflix so maybe go watch it unless you're a huge fan of the anime and then just go rewatch the anime go watch the anime anime. (laughs) that's my official review (laughs) great Put on the poster. <laughs> wow. Okay. Speaking of queer content. Now, speaking of queer content. 
what did we watch this week for erotic thriller journey? You closed a blind spot this week, and I did as well because we watched Bound for the first time for me. And oh boy, did I love this movie. Isn't it? Fucking incredible. So the basic plot is that we have a tough ex-con, Corky, uh, who is... Gina Gershon. Gina Gershon with, oh my God, her smile. Her smile in this and her lips. Like, I've never been attracted to someone's lips before, but her lips are so fucking hot in this movie. But she has been hired to um, fix up a really rich person's um, apartment condo. And next door, uh, there is a woman named Violet played by Jennifer Tilly, who immediately catches her eye and they start fucking. And then they come up with a plan to murder Violet's mm, not murder, but steal from Violet's boyfriend, but probably end up have him get murdered in the process and then flee with millions of dollars is the basic, like I would say, plot point yep it's like it's an erotic thriller it's like a neo-noir it's a heist film it's a heist film it's like a it's a lot of things and it's all incredible the wachowskis directed this this was i think their first movie or one of their first movies um and it is they made this when they were not identifying as like they weren't out but they were like it it's queer. Like, you, it's just, when people talk about this, I'm like, they, but, like, they've always been queer. So it's not like, I don't know. It's just incredible to see this movie and, like, see how their journey as filmmakers, as queer filmmakers, has, like, has evolved. Because they really fucking came out the gate with Bound of just, like, gay, neo, noir, fuck off. And it's just so good. I see that their leather, leather fetish did not start with The Matrix. No. It started here. Nope. From the very beginning. It did. So, so one of the lines that I really love is um, uh, J- Jennifer Tilly's character says, do I make you nervous, Corky? And then there's a later line where she's like, isn't it obvious I'm trying to seduce you? And I just, I love the confidence between these two women. I love their their oh. chemistry is so, it's so incredibly hot. It's so incredibly hot. Like the sex scene between the two of them is like not male gazy. Like I love me a good lesbian sex scene that isn't just like, look, it's two chicks fucking <laughs> like wild things. <laughs> <laughs> Seeing these dynamics of the noir kind of seduct the fem- the femme fatale seducing the guy, but having it be a more like a masculine woman and a very traditionally feminine woman and like watching these dynamics kind of unfold in this queer context and how they subvert the expectations mm-hmm. of what you think is going to happen with Violet and with Quirky and like who's going to betray who and like well they're both femme fatales they are which is I love and like they're both femme fatales and they're both like the guy mm-hmm. you know what I mean like n- neither of them falls into one mold and like Violet is, like, an incredibly iconic character who I'm obsessed with. And, like, Jennifer Tilly is an incredible performance with this character of just being so sexy and sexual and confident, but also, like, a little bit timid sometimes, but just, like, a bad bitch who, like, isn't afraid to be, like, herself and talk about her circumstance. She's like, yeah, I have sex with men and I have sex with women. And, like, she's very self-assured in her identity. Mm-hmm. And I love that because like you don't see that a lot in these movies of like 
I have a whole conversation when I have a conversation about her being bisexual, but that's a it's a hard conversation to have because I don't want to have like lesbian erasure and like erase like those identities in this movie and like I don't want to step on anyone's toes with that. But like she is so steadfast in her sexual identity and that she tells Quirky, yeah, I've had sex with men. Yeah. So like that doesn't make me any less of who I am. And I'm like, oh, I love this. There's no like she's confused. Like mm-hmm. it's just like she knows exactly who she is and like. It's the self-assured queer femme character is just like, mwah, mwah, mwah. I just, she's everything. Well, and they're eye-fucking from the very beginning. So it's not, it's not like. Oh my God. They first see each other on the elevator, that elevator sequence. It's not a a queer person leading, you know, a a woman astray. It's not like, you know, that sort of like monstrous uh, lesbian, monstrous queer person that we see that is inserting themselves into heteronormativity. No, they are eye-fucking each other from the very beginning. They are attracted to each other from the very beginning. This is. A love story. Like, immediately. Exactly. Like like you said, there isn't, like, oh, she's, like, attract, like the, the straight woman is being seduced. Mm-hmm. It's, like, they are, it's a mutual attraction immediately. Because Quirky is next door painting the apartment next to Violet and her boyfriends. And Violet knocks on the door, like, do you want some lemon? Is it lemonade or something? And, like, like tries to, like, ask her if she wants anything to drink. Mm-hmm. And, like, or she's, like, oh, my earring fell down the drain and mm-hmm. I need you to help me get it. And I'm just, like... And there's this like this there's a shot of Gina Gershon's character like doing something with the um the pipes and you just see like the Jennifer Tilly's legs and you just see like her stockings. And like this whole movie plays with that male gaze, but it's not the male gaze, because it's a it's like, oh, it's just the plays with that gaze expectation mm-hmm. in so many cool ways too, and it's just like I do have a problem though. Uh-huh. The scotch they're drinking? That is a oh cheap God, ass bottle of scotch. <laughs> like I was trying to get a good look at it, and I was googling it, and maybe I'm wrong because there are some Glenlivet bottles that are expensive. But I buy that that twelve that twelve year old Glenlivet scotch, and it ain't that expensive, honey. It's like a forty dollar bottle of scotch. When scotch can go up to like I fucking thousands love of dollars. Like, you're like I have a problem here. This is. <laughs> <laughs> that's incredible i was so obsessed I was like "Ooh, what scotch are they drinking and they're like it's the glenlivet and i was like okay um I, I buy the glenlivet but maybe it's inexpensive and i saw it and i was like no that label and that that color of label is the exact same one that i buy when i'm trying to be cheap with my scotch <laughs> and i love that it's like oh it's the glenlivet it's the best and like glenlivet is really good I have a bottle of it right here, but <laughs> wow! Would you look at that? There it but is. This bottle is more expensive than the bottle that they're drinking. <laughs> Terry's here to lay down the fucking law uh, about scotch prices. Oh, I'm so glad you loved it. Though. I did. I mean, I had a feeling you would. There was. I was it's like, so, if he doesn't love this, I would be so. It's so well paced. Right. Like, it's a two-hour movie, so and I was happens. like, oh, it's going to be two hours. But I was, like, enthralled from the very opening moment, and I just... Right. Oh, the opening closet shot where they're, like, going through... Oh, my God. that Like, I got to watch this um, in grad school in my, I'm, like, oh. my queer cinema class. We watched this, like, on a big screen, which was really cool. And, oof. Man, oh, man. I do... And maybe this is TMI, but I do have a question. Her nails were awfully long. I... Is that that? (laughs) 
Mary Beth has left the chat. <laughs> I've been rendered speechless. I mean, like, it's a valid thing to bring up. Her nails are long. And sharp. I just... Look, I just don't... Violet knows her way around a pussy. <laughs> Let's just... There we go. That's what I wanted to hear. You're like, I'm gonna get it out of you. <laughs> I just, Look, she knows her way around a pussy. I'm just like, oh my god. It just, it sounds, it just, in my mind, seems like that would be not pleasurable. But. Well, I mean, like, there's the whole thing where, like, you know, women, women who are in relationships with women, when they get manicures, they will, they will, they'll get, like, the, the, the nails trimmed down on, like, one of your, their hands. They won't get the full manicure. Okay. Like, that's pretty, like, that is, you know, when you see that, they're like, oh, did your nails break? You're like. Yeah. Definitely. Sure. Yeah, no, no, like, a lot of the time, a lot of the time, like, women who are in relationships with women have their fingers trimmed out, like, their middle and pointer finger trimmed out. See, I didn't so know that. So it's not uncomfortable. I didn't know that. Did. No, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's pretty common because, like, it again, it is, like, having long nails and going like touching of either your vagina or someone else's vagina it's not it's like it's a it's a complicated little thing to kind of like navigate especially internal versus external mm -hmm. simulation that's what i was thinking like, like, like i literally took a, a note in in all caps i can't imagine sharp nails being good for fingering i just that's was my note no it's not they're not they're okay. not mm -mm. sex education oh, no, it's it's important. These fingers trimmed, I think. I think it's the middle and ring. I think it just depends on your preference of like what, how, how, how you prefer to get the job done on your partner with the vagina. I shouldn't say women in relationships with women. People with vaginas in relationships with people with vaginas. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. Thank you for That's that education. Yeah, I could. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> And on that note. So, uh, <laughs> what are we watching next week for our erotic thriller journey? Um, okay, so we are taking it to 2017 in a movie that I have wanted to see since 2017 that I completely just realized is an erotic thriller. So I was like, hey, can we watch this? And Mary Beth's like, yeah, duh. We're watching Double Lover, which is a, I believe, French film um, about twins. Twins, Basil. There's twins. Twins, Basil. Twins. Yes, it is. Oh, it's Francois Ozon. It is. And he's done some weird shit, like Swimming Pool. He did do Swimming Pool. He also did a um, queer coming-of-age story that just came out, uh, finally came out uh, this year, Summer of 85. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I'm excited to watch that finally, because I've been meaning to, well, for four years now. Uh, so that's what we're going to do for Little Cuts, but who are we talking to on Monday, Mary Beth? I'm super excited. On Monday, we are chatting with writer and filmmaker Emily Gagne, and we get to discuss an absolutely <laughs> bonkers erotic thriller and Mark Wahlberg vehicle, Fear, uh, which also involves fingering. It does. I was literally <laughs> just thinking that. Reese Witherspoon gets fingered on a roller coaster. She sure as fuck does. Uh, so yeah, yeah, it's a it's a fascinating conversation. It's fun. It's it's just it's wild. You'll get to hear my story about Reese Witherspoon, and it's a good one. We talk about how Mark Wahlberg's a dick, but the movie's surprisingly really good. So yeah, tune we talk in. Talk a lot about virginity, and purity, culture. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Anyway, y'all, you've heard from us. We want to hear from you. Did you watch a film or one of the shows that we watched and have thoughts? Do you have suggestions for things we should be covering? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com or reach out to us directly on Twitter. I'm at MB McAndrews. And I'm McGaley Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast at Scarred Podcast. We had two reviews <gasps> uh, pop in November. So thank you so much for giving us a review. They were very kind and it was really yes. sweet to see. So please, if you're listening, make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're reviewing, especially on iTunes, and make sure you're giving us a rating because dumb algorithms are so important and it's dumb, but it is yep. a fact of life. So thank you yeah. for thank those two you. reviews. We appreciate it. We do. We read them all and text each other and get very happy when we see them. Um, <laughs> uh, thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. Boop. <laughs> ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs>